If you think innovation is going to be important to your company, or if you think any of your business units are at risk of disruption by innovation, then we should talk. <laughs> and then what we'll do is a diagnostic on kind of where you are technology level and where you are innovation culture mindset level and have that discussion and then go back and think through what are the issues that we're going to need to address in order to be successful. Hello and welcome to the Global Venturing Review podcast. I'm Fernando Moncada and this week we're speaking to Bill Reichert, who is a partner at Pegasus Tech Ventures, a VC as a service firm that makes venture investments on behalf of corporations. This is a model that's been on an upward trajectory in recent years, as different corporates tend to find themselves at different stages along their innovation journey, and sometimes they need to go to outside help. So they reach out to firms like Pegasus and others to help them navigate the venture capital ecosystem. Reichert talks about the VC-as-a-service model, its advantages, and why some corporates choose to go that route, as opposed to building their own units, and why the model is gaining so much popularity. He also talks at length about the history of corporate venture capital and how CVC-as-a-service is the latest iteration of it, calling it CVC 4.0. Corporations, Reichert says, recognize that they need to innovate in order to survive, and just because a corporate might already have its CVC unit, doesn't mean that they don't partner with firms like Pegasus anyway. With a multi-sector array of partners, Reichert explains the challenges involved in formulating a strategy for each of them based on their own individual needs, and how sometimes they need a lot of help getting their prerequisite groundwork and culture of innovation in place to enter the corporate venturing pool. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Global Venturing Review, and above all, enjoy the show. So, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Now, you are a partner and chief evangelist at Pegasus Tech Ventures. Can you uh, first tell us what evangelist means? I, I hear the term being you know, thrown around a lot. I think everyone has a bit of a different definition. Right. Well, it's a non-denominational in the sense. <laughs> so, yeah, as you may know, in Silicon Valley, we've developed this concept of evangelizing new technology, evangelizing new ideas, evangelizing big new things. And so one of the things that we launched here at Pegasus is a global startup competition called Startup World Cup. And so I am the chief evangelist for Startup World Cup. And so what that means is I get to go around the world and reach out to entrepreneurs and local investors to bring them together into regional competitions to try to identify sort of the biggest, brightest, most exciting new entrepreneurs, startups, and technologies in all corners of the world. And so that's part of my job is to evangelize this idea of entrepreneurship as the next big thing in regional hubs all around the planet. So it's it's very, very well received because, as I'm sure you know, pretty much every corner of the globe is very, very interested in sort of leveling up their business, technology, and population to sort of plug in to the digital information, AI, advanced technology age. 
And so we get great receptions all over the planet. And there's just a ton of energy around the big idea of entrepreneurship and innovation. So it's a, it's a really fun aspect of my role is to be the chief evangelist. And that's next week. That's the grand finale for the Startup World Cup, right? Exactly. So next week, September 28, 29, and 30, here in San Francisco, we have a three-day conference and competition where we're going to have over 70 companies from around the world, the regional winners from each region, are coming to San Francisco to compete for a $1 million grand prize. So we think it's not only one of the biggest, but also the richest startup competition on the planet. And by the way, for, for context, for, for listeners, we're actually recording this on September 21st. So by the time it comes out, it'll be this week that's the grand finale. So, so keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm curious how, how you kind of got to this point. Tell us a bit about yourself and, and your background, how you got into CVC as a service. So I, I wound up here in Silicon Valley when I came out to go to graduate school at Stanford. And while I was a graduate student in Stanford, as you can tell, it was a long time ago. Not too long ago, <laughs> surely. <laughs> Thank you. But when I was a graduate student at Stanford, I wound up starting a software company. It was sort of an accident, but there was this big fat opportunity sitting there. And I actually made a comment to a VC about this big fat opportunity. And he said, well, Bill, why don't you start a company? And so I said, okay, what the heck? <laughs> so that got, me, that got me hooked in Silicon Valley. I actually wound up starting four software companies two of which wound up going public. And then I uh, got together with Guy Kawasaki and a few other people, and we started a venture capital firm called Garage Technology Ventures. And we wanted Garage to be the most open, accessible venture capital firm on the planet. One of our taglines was, we take the FU out of funding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and one of our theses was that, you know, traditionally venture capital was this sort of opaque, hard to access sort of part of the, of the financial system. We wanted to make it open and we wanted to cast our net globally. And so part of our big idea was to reach out to entrepreneurs wherever they were on the planet through conferences, through workshops, through books, through a variety, through blogs, to help entrepreneurs access the venture capital community. Fast forward many years, I bump into the founder of Pegasus, and we just saw eye to eye on this opportunity for global outreach. And so Pegasus then decided to put together a global competition called Startup World Cup to reach the world and stake it with the biggest prize that's ever been offered for a startup competition, for a global startup competition. So that's how that whole thing evolved in terms of you know, my background and the history of Pegasus and all coming together to get us to where we are today. Great. Well, let's, I mean, let's talk about Pegasus. Of course, it's a, it's a VC as a service firm. You you guys invest on behalf of corporates looking to get into venture capital, and and it's a it's a model that's been growing and gaining a lot of steam, especially in recent years. Can you walk us through 
first of all, what the model looks like, what you guys do, and then why you feel that it's been gaining so much popularity recently. Yeah, yeah. So having been involved in the venture ecosystem for so many years, both on the entrepreneur side as well as on the venture capital side, what we saw was this evolution in the role of corporates in the venture ecosystem and the need for some new models for corporates to participate in the venture ecosystem. And if I can you know, sort of share with you our framing of the history of corporate investment in innovation, one of the dirty little secrets, it's actually not a dirty little secret, but it's an untold story about Silicon Valley, is when people think about why did Silicon Valley happen and what made Silicon Valley so successful, most people think, oh, you know, it has something to do with Stanford, or maybe it has something to do with the venture capital community, or maybe it has something to do with California. Um, so all of those are relevant. But what is significant untold story about Silicon Valley is that the reason Silicon Valley is here is actually not because of Stanford. It's not because of venture capital. It's because of corporate investment. The reason William Shockley came to Northern California was because a company said, I will fund your company. And that was the beginning of Shockley Labs, which was the beginning of transistors, which was the beginning of the semiconductor industry, which is the reason Silicon Valley is called Silicon Valley. You know, the semiconductor industry here launched because of Fairchild, another corporation that funded a bunch of innovators that actually spun out of Shockley Lab and started Fairchild Semiconductor. And so the point is that in a healthy, vibrant innovation ecosystem, corporations are central. Corporations are fundamental. And the smartest corporations on the planet, like the ones that funded the initial semiconductor industry, understand that plugging in to the entrepreneur startup innovation world is key to accelerating their own innovation. So just you know, winding back through history, initially corporations who were savvy enough to have some sort of access to smart entrepreneurs, they could pop some checks to entrepreneurs if they found them, if they knew what, where they were, if they knew how to diligence them. That was sort of corporate venture capital 1.0. That's kind of how Silicon Valley started and how it evolved. Corporate venture capital 2.0 happened when the venture capital community got created. That was a, this novel model of creating these limited partnership structures. And so some of the early VCs went to corporations and said, hey, we can help you invest in startup companies. And so for a lot of the history of Silicon Valley, that's the way corporations plugged into the startup world was through VCs. But what corporations realized is that venture capital firms are not designed for their best interest. Venture capital firms are designed to maximize their own internal rate of return, whether or not the investments are strategic for the corporations. So the corporations finally figured out, oh, huh, the VCs are not going to do it for us. So we got to do it ourselves. So corporate venture capital 3.0 was corporations setting up their own venture groups. And so companies like Intel and then Cisco said, hey, we're here in Silicon Valley. We got funded by these venture capital guys. 
we can do it ourselves. Let's hire some guys and just do it ourselves. And so that spawned the growth of corporate venture capital in terms of setting up venture capital groups inside the corporation. So there are some companies, you know, like Intel, that have access to the experience, the technology, the talent, and the deal flow, the startup companies, because they're sitting right here in Silicon Valley. But most corporations, when they set up their corporate venture capital groups, discovered, oops, we don't know how to do this. (laughs) We don't have the people who are experienced at it. We are not plugged in to the emerging technology sector. We don't know how to work with startup companies. Startup companies don't know how to work with us. And so they realized that it was hard to do it by themselves. Venture Capital 4.0, Corporate Venture Capital 4.0, was the idea that let's take an organization that has the deal flow, the connection, the networks that's plugged in to the technology world and partner with corporations to find and fund and collaborate with emerging technology companies. And that's the big idea behind Pegasus. And so instead of going to corporations and saying to them, put all your money into a blind pool and along with all these other investors and trust us, we'll invest on your behalf. What Pegasus said was, hey, you have a very specific investment mandate, so we will set up a dedicated fund for your investment mandate, and we will put a team on it to work with you to tap into sort of what you see as strategic, and then to reach out to the Silicon Valley and global innovation community to find those companies that fit your strategic mandate. And so that is the big idea behind Pegasus. And so now we have over 30 separate funds, almost all of which are single limited partners, a single corporation with a specific investment mandate that we use to go find companies that will fit their strategy. But each fund is a standard plain vanilla, Delaware, limited partnership structure. It's just that we operate very differently than Sand Hill Road. We operate with sort of a continuous connection with our corporate partners and a continuous outreach against their mandate to the entrepreneur community, and then bridging everyone together to help corporations understand how to work with startups to do joint ventures, joint development, proof of concept, pilots, licensing, and to help the startups, our portfolio companies, help them work with big companies. And that's the other side of the coin, helping bridge between those two, because that's traditionally been a very, very tough bridge for both corporations and for startups. That's really interesting. And there, there are a few things that you know I, I want to touch back on there that you, that you kind of mentioned. Firstly, when corporations reach out to you, what have you found tend to be the kind of common pain points or hurdles that they need your help to kind of get over? So at this point now, most corporations have heard about open innovation, right? So the concept of open innovation, which arguably was invented here and, you know, different people give credit to different people, to different people here in Silicon Valley, 
as to who gets credit for inventing open innovation. It was popularized by a Berkeley professor, Henry Chesbro, but it actually, well, I think he borrowed from, really, I give credit to John, John Chambers, who was the, at the time, CEO of Cisco, who said, you know, we have a lot of really, really smart people here in this company, but we don't have all the smart people in the world inside Cisco. <laughs> and so what he said is, hey, let's tap the rest of the smart people in the world. And so it has taken a long, long time for corporations to appreciate that. And still to this day, lots and lots and lots of corporate executives and managers aren't really comfortable with that idea for some obvious reasons, right? I mean, we know our business better than you do. There are a lot of reasons why it's hard for corporate executives to feel comfortable betting on the startup world. But most corporations now understand, you know, if we're going to innovate, we need to plug in to the startup world. We need to plug into this innovation ecosystem. So first sort of big issue, every corporation has a requirement that they grow. And in today's world, the pretty much only way to grow is to innovate. Sometimes you can innovate with business models and geographic expansion, but in parallel, you got to innovate with new products, new technologies, and maintaining a competitive advantage in every market, right? So first, they know they've got to innovate in order to grow, and then they also know that they are at risk because almost everywhere, in almost every sector, every business is threatened by innovation. So it used to be way back in the olden days when I was first an entrepreneur, most innovation was software that digitized processes that were semi-manual or whatever. And for the most part, that didn't threaten a lot of people. We put typing pools out of business, but that wasn't a big deal, right? <laughs> but now, fast forward, it's hard to think of an industry that isn't threatened by innovation. And so most corporations are looking at their business units and saying, oh my gosh, you know, our business in transportation is going to be changed. You know, our business in automotive is going to be changed. Our business in aerospace is going to be changed. Our business in media is going to be changed. Our business in healthcare is going to be changed. Our business in entertainment is going to be changed. Our business in manufacturing is going to... I mean, every business model out there, every business out there is subject to change because of innovation, because of these entrepreneurs that are, you know, developing new ways to do things and new technologies that are changing the game. So corporations come to us with these sort of two burning issues. One is the generic issue of growth. How do I grow? And the other is a series of different specific issues around, oops, this business is threatened, this business is threatened, this business is threatened. I've got to make sure that we either move to the head of the pack or find a different business that can leverage you know, our core competencies. So those are the sort of two main threads that corporations come to us with. And then there's a third aspect to this whole corporate innovation thing, 
that reveals after we start engaging. And that issue is, how do I get my whole corporation to have an innovation mindset? Rather than, we got a team in corporate development. We told them, hey, guys, go find innovation. (laughs) Okay, we're going to go find innovation. But as soon as they start touching innovations and bringing it back to the mothership, the business unit managers all say, what are you doing? I, I, you know, I, stop bothering me with this innovation stuff. I got a quarterly you know, goal I got to hit. <laughs> and so it uncovers this challenge that every corporation has of permeating the company with an urgency around innovation beyond just you know, the business unit manager obligation to hit their quarterly objective. So that's a whole nother cultural requirement that is beyond sort of just the, the top line strategy. Let's go innovate. Let's go invest in startups. It's a lot harder than that. <laughs> so then it becomes you know, part of what we do working with each of our corporate partners is helping them develop this innovation mindset within their organization. Every corporation is different. I wish there was just a simple recipe, but cultures are different. Organizational structures are different. Obviously, business sectors are different. But what we do is we get to know each other well enough that we can then invite the business unit managers and the key sort of senior people in the company into a series of workshops that we do. We call it Pegasus University. The big idea was, let's get everyone involved and bought in to this whole innovation strategy that we have. So we talk about sort of the high-level open innovation strategy, and then we work through the process of identifying emerging technologies, doing partnerships and working with startup companies, sort of running collaborations with startups and how to get the most out of a corporate innovation strategy that is focused on connecting with startup companies. And that brings, generally, we're getting like hundreds of senior managers across the company sort of plugged into this whole thing so that they're part of it. They get to feel that they're part of it. And they're then much more receptive to working with these new technologies and you know with the goal in terms of incentives and corporate policy of you know sort of getting credit for participating in the innovation of the organization so lots and lots of learnings around what it takes to change an organizational mindset to help them be successful plugging into the you know startup innovation ecosystem you know, in your line of work, I would imagine it's really important, obviously, well, in any kind of client-facing line of work, it's important to get to know your client. But in your case, you have to really get to know them so deeply that you can kind of devise a, a kind of bespoke strategic approach with their kind of dedicated fund. And you kind of touched on that just now, but what are the main challenges involved in having to do that for each individual company that comes your way? So usually when we start out, The team on the corporate side that is sort of driving this 
has identified some business unit technology sectors that they are most focused on. And generally, we encourage starting with sort of a limited scope and not trying to fix the entire corporation. You know, some of our corporate partners, they've got 11 different business units. And so that's somewhat challenging for everyone to sort of cope with 11 different mandates, right? So generally, what we want to do is start in an area where hopefully there's some low-hanging fruit, where there's the highest receptivity and the highest need and urgency for doing this innovation investing. So we want to start there and then make sure that we learn together how to work with startups in that company. And so a key aspect is to get the business units explicitly motivated to participate. And you know, one of the things we've learned is that just because humans are humans, <laughs> some business unit managers are more receptive than others. And so what you learn is go with the ones that are receptive and don't try, don't try to change people, right? <laughs> Let them come to you, don't impose upon them. And, you know, that's, again, that's organizational behavior, organizational theory, you know, how do you, how do you motivate people to do the right thing, right? So that's the initial work is to plug into the business unit managers that are most receptive and sort of most eager to participate in this. And then what we've discovered, it's super interesting, the difference between traditional venture capital and our world. Traditional venture capital, venture capital is focused on companies, technologies that can sort of break out in, you know, no longer than three to five years and ideally get liquidity in six, seven, eight years, right? That's the structure, right? We have corporations that come to us talking about their strategic plan that have strategic plans through the year 2050. That's <laughs> like, it's a very different perspective, but it makes sense, right? Because think of any typical, you know, multinational corporation, they're seeing the evolution of their technology, of their market, and of their infrastructure. They're building buildings, they're opening offices, they're constructing manufacturing plants and industrial facilities, right? They have to have a 30-year perspective on these things. So it's a really interesting process for us, sort of coming out, out of the Silicon Valley venture capital world, to connect with this global multinational 30-year thinking world and identify, okay, how do we get there from here? And what does that mean in terms of where we place our investments? And so, you know, for the most part, we're looking for opportunities that have sort of an immediate potential for collaboration. So it means the products in the market, there's some degree of, of critical mass in the startup so that they can afford to work with a large company. But sometimes there are technologies that emerge that our corporate partners, they look at it and they say, oh, that's going to be relevant to us. And we say, well, it's not going to be relevant for 10 years. But they say, well, yeah, but that's still relevant to us. And, and so, you know, we're investing, you know, we are now 
probably one of the most prolific investors in quantum computing because global corporations are aware of the fact that quantum computing could be highly relevant in a whole bunch of their businesses in material science, in chemistry, in machine learning, in all sorts of areas, in in logistics, in optimization, in finance. There are all sorts of ways in which quantum computing 10 years from now is going to be really important in the enterprise world, you know, even though most VCs sort of say, well, you know, that's still a long way off. And for most VCs, a long way off is more than five years, right? So the perspective is very different than in a sort of traditional VC perspective. It's not just those corporates that don't already have a CVC that come to you, right? It's also those that already have their corporate innovation units carved out that come. um, What's the kind of difference between their needs? Well, it's if, you know, you look across, you know, sort of all the corporates that we're working with, it's a spectrum from those who are sort of brand new to the idea of open innovation and working with startups to those who have been doing it through some form of corporate innovation and corporate venturing group for many years. And across that spectrum, the ones that are brand new, they want to learn, they want to understand. And interesting, you know, to your point, they tend to be the most shy. They tend not to know what they don't know yet, right? (laughs) So the ones that have been doing it for a few years, they've been, you know, whacked in the face. They know what they don't know. (laughs) And so they see us not as a replacement for what they're doing, but as an extension of what they want to do. And so it's sort of classic. It's easier to work with corporations who have more familiarity with the whole corporate venturing side of things than it is to work with corporations that are brand new to it. But we work with both. We work and across the spectrum. And it's a somewhat different process for each of them. So we've had to adapt our processes to be sort of appropriate at all different stages in the corporate venturing sort of experience and maturity. And typically, is it the the CVCs themselves that you work with, or is it the corporate parent who, I don't know, maybe is trying to, to kind of develop some kind of parallel track? We always want to be integrated with anything they're doing. And, and yeah, generally, there's been some sort of awareness that our corporate venturing activity hasn't been quite as productive as we wish that it were. And that always introduces a potential source of friction, potentially, right? (laughs) So generally, it winds up being very top CEO level sort of discussion about how can we extend our activity to be more productive rather than, you know, a suggestion that it hasn't worked or it has failed. It's a suggestion of now let's see what the next step is. Again. There's some nuances to, to that evolution, as you can certainly imagine. But no, we want, to, we want to plug in with the team. We never want to be in a situation where there's any sort of adversarial situation within one of our corporate partners. You know? And it is, it's one of the keys in corporate innovation, broadly defined. Independent of what we're all doing in terms of just corporate innovation as a sort of developing 
school of thought and thinking, one of the critical factors in being successful with corporate innovation is alignment across the organization. You need alignment around what are the priorities, what are the strategies, you know, what's the vision, and what are the incentive structures in the organization that, that reinforce that alignment. So that is something that sometimes we wind up getting involved with is sort of independent of our particular investment process, the larger corporate innovation strategy within the organization, and how can we make it better and more effective within the organization. And given the, I'm curious, given the range of, in terms of, you know, maturity in the context of corporate innovation that the different clients have that come to you, have you ever had, you know, a case where, you know, a potential client comes to you saying, you know, we want to do this and this. And after, you know, the initial talk and maybe some, some initial consideration, you guys thought maybe, mm, you know, may, maybe it's not the right time for them, or maybe they're not quite ready or if they go off and do, you know, X, Y, Z, then maybe come back and we can reassess. Has that ever happened? It's fairly frequent that things inside our corporate partners evolve, right? <laughs> it's, it's not uncommon that sort of the initial thinking about where to focus and how to do this needs to evolve. And so, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not uncommon. A big part of what happens in our experience and in our relationships is the concept of innovation generally is very abstract, right? New products, new markets, of course, right? New business models. When sort of the rubber meets the road and you have, you know, a very specific product and a very specific market and a very specific business model, then the company has to grapple with how does that fit with what we're doing? And we get frequently, our partners will say, we're rethinking our approach to this sector or to this geography, you know, or to this technology. And we encourage that. And so we want to have roughly, you know, every six months, at least the goal is twice a year, but at least once a year, a very serious sit down, rethink of what's working and what isn't working. So there might be a dream of finding the perfect factory automation technology. And there are a bunch of factory automation technologies out there, right? <laughs> when you think about it in terms of a high level factory automation, that's going to be good. But then you're working on very specific technologies and products, you realize, oh, you know, maybe we need to take a different approach to this. And so the experience of working with startups and testing out new products and new technologies and doing pilot implementations inside companies, that's really important learning for the company. And so we're delighted if one of our corporate partners sees an interesting company technology, engages in a proof of concept, and says, you know, that's not right. And because that's a learning. It's not a, you know, it's not a failure. It's not a failure. It's a learning. And so that company is just that much smarter because of that experience. A big problem in corporate cultures is 
anytime any manager gets budget to try something, if that doesn't work out, in a bunch of corporate cultures, you spent money to try something and it didn't work out, that's a failure, right? And that's a terrible mindset to have that mindset. And so, you know, it's really important back to this culture thing, back to this innovation mindset thing to get the corporation to say, it's okay to try a lot of things. And we know that most of those things we try will not work. And that's not bad. That's good. That's a learning. And so we're going to capitalize on that learning to, you know, enable us to move even faster. But that's not a typical mindset in a typical corporation. And so we've got to get the CEO and, you know, sort of all the layers of sort of management and incentive to accept this idea of experimentation is important, even at the business unit level. It doesn't just apply to the guys in the basement who are doing R&D, right? It's got to apply at the front line as well. So that's a really important dynamic. And it's hard for us to know in advance exactly what's going to work and what isn't going to work. But we just want to set the stage to say, look, a bunch of these things are not going to work, but you can't be discouraged and you can't punish people for trying things that turn out not to work. So all sorts of very important organizational dynamics around culture and alignment and management and strategy that come together around this corporate innovation, corporate venturing business that we're in. So following from that, what advice would you give to corporates looking to dip their toe in the water in terms of like the groundwork they need to have done and the kind of mentality they need to have before kind of reaching out to a firm like yours? The advice is if you think innovation is going to be important to your company, or if you think any of your business units are at risk of disruption by innovation, then we should talk. Right? And then what we'll do is a diagnostic on kind of where you are technology level and where you are innovation culture mindset level and have that discussion and then go back and think through what are the issues that we're going to need to address in order to be successful becoming an innovative organization so i am now I, you know this is a very strong bias you can guess where i'm going to go with this which is to say a lot of corporations their first step is to go hire a consultant right they want to go hire an innovation consultant and an innovation consultant will come in with some beautiful graphs and charts and frameworks and theory and you know teach you about innovation. And that could be valuable, that could be useful, but we're more of the, I come out of a medical family. My dad was a doctor and you probably have heard the, the, you know, the mantra, see one, do one, teach one, right? I mean, so, which is, you know, for surgeons and whatever. So first you want to watch someone else doing it and see how it goes. And then you want to do it yourself and experience how it goes. And then you want to learn from that experience sufficiently that you can teach someone else how to do it. 
And that in that deeply embeds that capability in yourself. So see one, teach one, do one is what we recommend to corporations. So you don't jump in with both feet and then just invest in a bunch of companies, right? You step in, as you say, toe in the water, and you start, you know, you start by engaging with companies, investing in a few companies, doing collaboration with a few companies, and then learning from that, and then, you know, doing some more. Right. So it, it, it is an iterative process, but the only way you can learn is by doing. Like in, like in most things, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Having a consultant, you know, sort of teach you innovation theory could be valuable for mindset, but, but the only way you're going to really learn is by doing. And that's the whole idea behind Pegasus is to help corporations discover, learn, do, grow, and innovate. Absolutely. And, and before I let you go, you know, I, I want to get your take on, on what you're excited about going forward. You know, what does the road ahead hold for Pegasus and, and what are you looking forward to? It's so interesting how many people have been talking about, oh, the downturn, oh, the recession, mm-hmm. oh, the... It's been a big yeah. theme for sure, yeah. I mean, it's just so interesting. And I, you know, and I get it. I mean, if you look at some sectors and some prices and people look at NASDAQ and stuff like that, I tell you, I think all of that is just so way overblown. And what is even more urgent today than it was last year. And, you know, last year was an insane year, right? What is even more urgent today is innovating solutions around the, all of the emerging problems that we have in this world, you know, sort of at the big macro level, but at the corporate level as well. So you have supply chain disruptions. You sit back and hope that maybe it'll go away. No, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, if you're a corporation, you've got supply chain disruptions, you've got to figure out how to innovate your way around them, both in the short term and in the long term. And so what I'm excited about is that the urgency for innovation across the corporate world it just it continues to grow. It's, there's, you know, there's no let up in it. And the span of technologies and businesses and sectors and geographies that need that innovation just continues to grow. And so I have one of the greatest jobs in the world getting to plug into the innovation ecosystem and see all these astonishing innovations here in Silicon Valley and around the world and plug into all of these global corporations and their requirements for growth and innovation and try to marry the two, which has a huge multiplicative impact. So it's more than just growing startup companies. It's growing startup companies, accelerating their growth by partnering them with big corporations and growing big corporations so that they are even more efficient and productive, which sort of leverages everything in terms of the impact that we can have as a corporate innovation platform. 
Well, that is as good a point as any to, to, to wrap things up here today. Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on and best of luck at the Startup World Cup. I'm, I'm excited to see who wins that. And at GCV, you know, we're, we're quite keen to follow the growth of VC as a service. So I'm sure that we'll be in touch much more in the future as well. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Fernando. I really appreciate this opportunity. That just about does it from us this week. Thank you all for listening and again to Bill for coming on the show. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the GVR podcast, which you can catch on your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. I have been Fernando Moncada. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from Inner Production, whose great work you can check out at innerproduction.com. And our intro music is by Kevin McLeod and a Creative Commons license. We'll be back again next week with more. Until then, have a good one.